So in this week's episode of Vice Versa, we're gonna be talking about Tesla's recall that might be happening. GM and Nikola might be on the outs. The first public semi-charging station is coming out. And Elon Musk says the full self-driving is coming next year. And as usual, I'm joined by Ricky. How you doing, Ricky? Episode four of Vice Versa with Matt and Ricky, and we are broadcasting live. From now on, I believe we're gonna aim for 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays live broadcast so we've got a couple of comments already i think i saw somebody canadian bernie bro hello so glad you could make it and let's see what let's see what happens uh you want to start off with the very first story i will i think start off the very yeah, first you, story you, you jump off with the first one this was yes okay so <clears throat> this is this is a story that i think you can relate to because you made a video kind of covering this for the model 3 but there okay. was a little bit of an issue with a recall or some issues with Tesla's touch screens on their Model S and X's. So these are actually some of their older cars and the issue is is kind of large, but it's not the end of the world. The reason why I brought this up is because if you know Tesla made the decision that we're gonna have in the Model 3 and the Y, just one huge screen, which has a lot of benefits, but the one downfall is if that screen doesn't work as Matt can uh, chime in and, and protest to it. You're in, you're in trouble. You can't even check how fast you're going. You lose navigation. You can't check your backup camera. You're driving in the dark. Now the car does still operate, but it is a, it's a major safety concern because you don't even have a speedometer. And uh, I think it just goes to show you that some of this is burgeoning technology. The things that we're doing are kind of, we're doing for the very first time. And as great as those touchscreens are, the software is updated very frequently and things can go wrong. So, you know, I don't know where you are, Matt, if you're a aggressive or default mode person for software intervals, but <laughs> this is one of those things that might want to make you think and, uh, and, and choose wisely, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on the aggressive side, but I, li I, I live on the edge of technology, so I'm used to it. So when my screen went black, I wasn't happy, but I was I rolled with it. But it is alarming to say the least when that happens. Uh, the fact that your car has no instrumentation whatsoever because it's all on the the screen, and when that goes, you're you're flying blind, like literally. So it's a, it's a little disturbing. Um, the thing about this though is there's the, the the thing that's looming is is this will will this end up as a recall? And that's been getting a lot of the press of. Tesla might be issuing a recall. Like this is a horrible thing. Tesla's on fire. It's like every car company has recalls. This is very normal. It's like every car company has gone through this exact process for something. Just think about the airbag recalls that have been happening for every manufacturer. It's like Ford, Nissan, you know, everybody is going through this with having to do a recall on the airbags because they might explode. So it's like Tesla having this, it's not great but they'll do the right thing. They'll take care of the customers. And if the US government says that they have to perform some kind of recall, they'll do it. But I, I don't see this as something that's really bad, but it's something that they need to take care of to make sure their customers are safe. Yeah, it's, it kind of straddles the line of innovation and technology, cool yeah. features everyone loves when they add Spotify. But when your main instrument cluster and a lot of your information and and input into the into the entire system interface is all in that screen. Yeah, it's more than just infotainment. It's it's way more than that. You know, I made a video in the past talking about how Tesla's decision to have just one big screen for the three was 
was kind of brilliant. So I had a chance to ride with Tesla Raj in his uh, FSD beta car, and they have a new UI. It's really pretty slick. You open the door, and the door animates open, and it shows the windows as they roll down. There's a lot of really cool stuff. And there's a little bit of a rumor we'll see that Tesla might roll out a software for the uh, the holiday season, and it might include that. We'll we'll see, especially for people who don't have FSD. I'm not not so sure, but that's really cool. I'd love to see a new UI. And when you, your entire car is a screen, you can refresh it, kind of modernize it, update stuff. They're just the kind of things you can't do with a conventional car. So I still think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. But yeah, learning, uh, growing, growing pains. You're going to have to deal with it. Hopefully, um, it's not as massive as, as it seems. But yeah, it's going to be one of those things I have to figure out. Yeah, that's the, I'm on the same page with that. It's software. The software interface can grow and evolve over time where you have switches and knobs. Those are what they are forever. So it's like I'd much rather have a software interface that can adapt as they roll out new features. They find ways that users are using their cars in ways that they didn't expect so they can adjust the interface. So it's that's right up my alley. I mean, I was a UI designer for over 20 years, so I am very excited about that aspect of my, my car experience. So yeah, and do we want to jump? Depending on when you buy your car, you'll see, just really quick, <laughs> you'll find like it'll be a piano black knob or like a fake carbon fiber, whatever was in at that time. But whatever you choose to do, I can assure you five years later, your choice is going to be like dated. <laughs> it's it's going to look really, exactly. really dated. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it totally makes sense. All right. So the next story that's up is GM oh, canceling no. the deal with Nikola. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this one, when I saw this, I had to add this to the list. It got me so... It got me so excited because it's just like the the Nicholas story just will not stop. It's just the punches keep coming. My favorite part about all of this was that GM announced the deal between Nikola right before all that stuff hit the fan with Nikola. And so suddenly GM was not looking too great. And now it turns out since then the negotiations have continued and GM is backing out of part of the deal and they're no longer going to be building the, was it the Nikola Badger for them? but they're still going to be supplying the uh, hydrogen fuel cell stuff for the semi-truck. So they're still going to be doing something with Nikola, but they've they've really dialed back what they're doing. So it doesn't surprise me that they're doing this because they got some egg on their face (laughs) getting all tied up (laughs) with Nikola. But this is just the story that keeps on giving (laughs) to me. Well said. The story that keeps on giving. Yeah, we've gone through, it feels like, five years of news with this with this story. So, yeah, just to, to iterate, to reiterate, there is still a, a deal, and they're basically a customer. Like, yeah, we have hydrogen fuel cells. If you want to use them, you can pay us money and you can have it, just like anybody else. So it's not really like what I would call like a partnership, which is what it would be before. They'd have $2 billion stake, and they were going to provide parts and in exchange for that stake. So that was a true partnership where GM would have a minority uh, stake in Nikola. That is no longer the case. Now yep. it's, you can be a customer and that is all kind of a thing. So I think, I mean, it's pretty bad. Like we can, we can kind of spin it to say that there's still an arrangement of, of sorts, but the, the deal is pretty much uh, kiboshed at this point. And <laughs> yeah, what can you say? To be honest with you, I actually didn't know what would happen to the stock by now. So I think the lockout period for Trevor Milton and the early investors is over. So I think they can start to dump their shares. And 
I was kind of thinking it might be poetic justice if the shares were worth like nothing by the time he could actually sell them, but they're not. Tesla, uh, Nikola is still trading at like $18 a share after like a 25% drop one day. After that, they're still at $18 a share. So maybe I'm missing something or maybe there's just a lot of inertia. I know a lot of the, um, the early investors hold a lot of the shares. So as far as like how much is floating out there, it's pretty small for Nikola, but yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I'm a huge believer in investing in the kind of companies you want to see in the future. Uh, Nikola is not a company that I'm investing in. Yeah, we'll cover this again. I have I have a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then the very next one is Portland General Electric and Daimler Trucks of North America are partnering on a five megawatt electric semi public charging uh, infrastructure, what they're, what they're calling an electric island. And this is an interesting story, again, to, in, to the point of the investments that we're going to have to make. We're on the brink of having like the Tesla semi. We're going to have companies like Arrival who are going to have commercial fleets of EVs. Rivian's going to have a truck and uh, vans for uh, Amazon. So the question is, how are you going to charge these? And Tesla's supercharger network probably isn't going to do it because you can't really potentially back up a big semi into a into a Tesla charging spot. So I, I know Tesla's yeah. working on mega chargers as well. We're talking not 250 kilowatts, but maybe a megawatt. So four times the juice of, of what we're used to. And so, again, this just goes to show you that this is a paradigm shift. This is when we go from horses to petrol stations and gas cars. There's going to be all kinds of infrastructure. And so there's going to be tons of companies that are doing this, you know, Electrify America, and there's there's a dozen others that are that are popping up. So it's a bit of the Wild West, and he who controls the charging infrastructure kind of controls that revenue stream, especially in the early days when this stuff is kind of still being flushed out. Yeah. And the, the other thing about the scope of this is this charger is supposedly going to be up to one megawatt, like when it's a fully functional Death Star, it's going to be one one megawatt charging. I mean, that's that's insane. That's that's four Tesla superchargers <laughs> in one essentially plug. I don't know how that's going to keep cool, how it's going to work. I'm I'm fascinated just by the technology of it, but it kind of drives home the scale that semis are going to need, where it's just so much more than any kind of supercharger or Electrify America charger or charge point can offer. It needs its own infrastructure to be able to do this. And so for me, the, this story kind of struck a chord because it's, it's the beginning of that new push with semis showing up next year, hopefully. We're going to start to see more and more of this. And the nice thing about it, though, is because unlike passenger cars, where you have to build chargers out across like pretty much everywhere, you can start on the major routes. Trucking lines have very specific paths, so they can be very targeted. So when, like, if UPS buys a Tesla Semi, they can basically say, we're only going to use these semis on this one route, and they can just build a couple of chargers to take care of them to start. So it's like, this is going to be a rollout that's going to probably be a lot slower than you might expect as far as where the charging stations are, but this is just the beginning, and I, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, really well said. This is the electric vehicle frontier. I, I yeah. kind of liken it to you know the move west in the U.S. in the you yeah. know, early centuries. This is that same sort of thing where there's just kind of like a land grab. This would be exactly the prime spots along the I-5, for example, here in California, or you know the 80 across the U.S. So it's going to be a big deal. By the way, really quickly, you mentioned about the scale of of one megawatt charging. Mm -hmm. 
the one thing people don't realize is it does scale up. So for example, if you can picture, imagine three Tesla Model 3s, for example, long range Model 3s, all charging at the same time. Each has a cooling ribbon, each takes that much charge, each has that number of batteries. So really, the, the mistake I think I watched in one of the YouTube videos I watched in the past was, these are gonna take forever to charge because they're gonna charge so slowly. Well, no, there's four times the number of batteries, which means you can take four times the power, which means you can charge it four times as quickly, which averages out to about the same. So right. when, these, when these are online, you could fill a Tesla Semi in like the time it would take to fill a Tesla uh, passenger sedan. And as far as like the cooling ribbons and stuff, that would all scale up. Um, so it's an engineering feat. There's a lot that goes on uh, and the BMSs are working really hard to keep all that battery uh, tech safe and cool, but it does scale up and it, it should be interesting to see the first ones that pop up. All I know is when I find one, I'm gonna go try to plug them in and see if, how fast I can charge my car up. With one <laughs> it, it bursts into flames. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that, where it's going to be charging about the same rate as you'd expect an EV car will, because it just has much more capacity than a car does. All right, so to jump to the next story, everything we know about Hyundai and Kia's new electric vehicle platform. They just recently announced their new platform, which is a lot like what GM did with their platform. It's, 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 it's like a single structure that they can basically be very modular and build whatever they want. So they have this whole structure... Yeah, this very modular approach will be able to do rear-wheel drive, all-wheel drive cars. They'll be able to do trucks and SUVs off the same platform. Um, the batteries are stored like with the axle between the wheels, which I think is an interesting approach. So it's going to be very modular. It's going to make them able to roll out as many cars as they want in different styles and just have one set of things they have to build to support the, the structure. And they claim that the range, if the ranges are as good as they say they are, it's going to be a very competitive range. These things are going to have, you know, 300 miles range, 400 miles range with this structure. So I'm, the thing about Hyundai and Kia is they've actually made some really, really compelling vehicles. And, but the problem they've had is they haven't been able to meet demand <laughs> with what they've been supplying. So hopefully a system like this will allow them to manufacture cars at a much faster pace as they roll this out more widely. Yeah, really well said. I kind of think of Hyundai and Kia, the, the Hyundai Corporation, as Toyota and Honda back in the 60s and 70s as, and Japan. Japan was just kind of upstart, not really well known, and they quickly kind of burst on the scene. And Kia and, and Hyundai kind of seem to be doing the same sort of thing, especially with EVs. They've been building cars for a while, but they seem mm -hmm. more hip to the EV than, than, let's say, for example, Honda or Toyota. But um, what's also interesting is the platform or the, the investment in architecture to me signals that you're serious about EVs, because if, if you don't do that, like, for example, you mentioned about the, the demand and, and supply issues they've had. Well, the Ionic is a normal, uh, the, the Kona EV, for example, is a gas car with a electric option, which means that the batteries are on the floor or as optimized as they could be. So this platform architecture will give them like a leg up to be able to build cars like from the ground up as EVs. And <laughs> going back to Nikola, I'd hate to bring up Nikola here, but to me, the difference between a company like Nikola and whenever I, I think of a company as being serious is you're investing in the architecture. If you tell me, here's a car, we're going to have this company build it, we're going to buy these batteries from them. All you're really, you're a packager. Like to me, that's not really as... Your company is not the value mm -hmm. or the investability. It just is not as high as somebody who 
who does want to build it all in-house. And when you talk about architecture, now uh, VW has kind of their MEB architecture. They're going to have a platform upon which they can build numerous different cars from. You know, Tesla's already doing their thing. The three and the Y are very similar, and they're going to do more in the future. And this is just the next step. So to me, when I hear companies talk about the architecture of it all, like uh, some people kind of scoffed at GM with their Ultium uh, tech stack, but to me, that shows a lot of thought went into, we're going to have like 30 cars that are electric people. And to do that, you got to start here because you can't just go one off and and um, and hope to have any kind of success. So good on you, Kia and Hyundai. I hope, uh, we, I hope we see like five or 10 cars in the next five or five years or so. Less than five yeah. years, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, the, the article says that the cars are going to start to show up in 2021 and 2022. So we're going to see the very first variants of this kind of structure coming out very soon. So we're not going to wait that long to start seeing them. But the, the amount of cars they want to make, you're talking five years before they have all that stuff kind of rolled out across the board, having cars to SUVs and trucks. So it's, it's going to be exciting. I, I agree with you. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. You need thinking like this. You need structure like this to put everything together. And people did make fun of GM a little bit for their Ultium. Uh, but I was excited by it. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought they came at they came at the concept and the the challenge, and brought everything to bear on it. They they came up with a good solution. So I'm really curious to see how it plays out. I want it to succeed, but it's awesome to see companies putting that much thought and effort behind it. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're going to be one of the legacy makers that will survive. By the way, that's my prediction. All right. So next up, All this right. one. <laughs> so Matt, we're Matt, both going to have a lot to say on this one. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think we will. Matt wanted me to cover this one, which is funny because I'm the one here who doesn't have the FSD package. But I did have a chance to drive with Tesla Raj in his. He's one of the early first 20 people or so that had the FSD beta. So this is that page one rewrite where they kind of went back to the drawing board and really upped their game with all that they learned. And truth be told, the tech is incredibly impressive, to be sure. he We were in a parking lot. We got to... So it didn't really traverse parking lots pretty well, and he kind of mentioned that was a limitation. So we pulled near the exit of a parking lot, and we just pulled up the map and pinched around and said, let's go there. And we just put a pin and said, navigate to, and sat back. And the car pulled up to stop signs, will kind of peek up and take off and stop at red lights and turn left and turn. It was incredible. And I kept looking over at him because I didn't believe him. I thought he was cheating somehow. Because you're supposed <laughs> to have your hand on the wheel just in case, right? And you have to be ready to take over. And so, but he's just sitting there and the, the wheel is spinning and his hands are stationary. It's a, it was an incredible, incredible experience. So the article here is Elon is extremely confident, which Elon often is for good reason. The man delivers, uh, got to give him that, that Tesla will release the full autonomy, at least in some jurisdictions in the, in the next year. So 2021. So what that really means is let's say there's a town or a state that's a little more hip and willing to kind of play ball and allow more of the FSD operation, because really there's still a, a regulatory battle to be had, I think, with the autonomous car. But he's confident that this is going to be ready. So what that should tell people is when we say FSD beta, it means we're really far along and we are really quickly getting to full self-driving. Now, that being said, the car did make a couple of mistakes. Um, as impressive as it was, the most impressive thing, by the way, there was a, a red, there was a stop sign where we were turning right. And there's a car parked on the road in such a way that you cannot tell if you're clear from the stop line where you're supposed to stop. So the average 
person would kind of creep forward, creep forward until you have a, a visibility and then you'd make the move. And the Tesla did the exact same thing. It goes to a complete stop at the stop sign and then crawls forward until one of the cameras, you know, with the with the right skew angle can look down the line and get a clear, like we're all clear and then made the right turn. It was unbelievable. But at the same time, um, one of the things that happened, we were at a stop sign turning left and there was a car in front of us turning left right in front of us and the car tried to go which is like weird and oddly obvious to me like of all the things you just did you couldn't figure out this situation so i will say you got to take it with a grain of salt i think this this tech and what's really cool about like neural nets and machine learning is the level of acceleration is unbelievable it's like exponential you train these models and the rate at which they get better is like beyond like the grasp of the human mind kind of a thing but there's a long way to go um so i think it's gonna be fun to watch the progress but as the person with fsd what what do you think i i have i've not been shy about this i've said this a bunch of times in a previous episode i said the same thing full self-driving is not going to be fully here like you can use it reliably every single day for more several more years it's like i don't care what Elon says as far as it's, it's gonna be here next year it's like the, the product will be here next year. It may not be fully baked. It's going to need more time in the oven to work out those situations that you just made note of. Me personally, I am way too excited for this. There's a reason I bought the full self-driving package when it was on sale when I got it, because I want to use it. It's like, this is, like I said, I'm, I'm aggressive on my software updates. I want to use this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm all in, but I'm not normal in that regard so it's like i know the average joe out there is not gonna feel comfortable with this system until it is like rock solid you don't want to have what you experienced ever happen it's like if that happens to you once you're going to start doubting everything the car does and so it's like it's really important to have this nailed down and i mean even elon has said it's like it's easy to get to 99 percent you know accuracy but it's the the point one, the point two, the point three, to get it up to that 100% level that gets harder and harder and harder. And that's to me where I feel like full self-driving probably is. It's in that small couple percentage points away from perfection where it's going to take a while to get there, which is why I say it's going to be several more years at the earliest before people feel truly comfortable with the system. So the other side of it is him and his predictions on this. He's never been right on this with his predictions. He predicted that full self-driving would be here at the end of last year. Didn't happen. You know what I mean? It's like he's he's never gotten the predictions of when this would be hitting market correct. So I'm still dubious if he's going to do it, but the fact we actually have a beta out there and people are using it, like Tesla Raj is using it, that's the best sign we've ever had that they will be delivering something soon-ish. But I would take his date with a gigantic grain of salt. <laughs> That's me personally. All right. So Canadian Bernie Bro says Robo Taxi by 2022, and then a little later on he says seven years. So what do you think? Like, if you had to kind of nail a date, like, are we talking 2025? I think Robo five I years. Th out? I think I think a true Robo Taxi five years at the earliest. I would be shocked if we saw true Robo Taxis that didn't. Where you? I'm talking like you don't need a steering wheel in the car, like that kind of option where the car is so good you don't even need a steering wheel we're five years at the earliest it's it's gonna be five seven years it's like but for for us getting in our car and saying i'm gonna go over to my mom's house take me to my mom's house 
and then me sitting behind a wheel that I can take over in a those rare occurrences, I think that is coming much sooner. So it's like, I think that'll be here within the next year or two. But it's, it's <laughs> robotaxis, we're, we're a ways off. Yeah, Robert Powell just joined with one of our one of my friends. Um, hey, Robert, how's it going? Um, I'm just trying to read some of the comments here. So one of the one of our I I, I recognize Zoltan. He he comments often. Robo taxis in California starting 2022, which gets into what I wanted to bring up next, which is if you think about this versus it's kind of the the computer vision, which is the Tesla approach versus LIDAR, which is kind of like Waymo and some other people who've done that approach. Mm -hmm. And what I'm thinking is who will be the first to operate, let's say, for example, in San Francisco, Boston, LA, like in a city, the car yeah. is not qualified to go to, you know, two, two neighboring towns down, but in a urban city, because there Waymo might be able to have high definition mapping and use LIDAR to say, we know San Francisco, the couple hundred square miles or whatever it is of SF, we have mapped and we can reliably operate here. Whereas what Tesla is doing is no such thing. They're doing the opposite, which is the general solution. We yep. are building a car that is just as capable to drive an SF as it is in Beijing. There's no specialty. We're not building a car that knows a location. It's kind of like as an engineer, I remember in college, my professors, the, the good ones always told you, don't memorize like formulas. <laughs> you should be able to derive them or have a piece of paper, like know how to apply them, kind of the more general solution, if you will. So it will be interesting, I think. Somebody mentioned Austin, um, yeah, California. You know, there's, 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 some, there's some good candidates out there for places to start. But what do you guys think? And I, I'm sure the comments will start coming in. Yeah. Um, and he's saying the whole state of California. I was going to say that the state of California is pretty big, but what I was going to say was you and I have different experiences on this. Cause like you've actually sat in the full self-driving Tesla and I've ridden in a Waymo. So it's like, we're coming at this from different points. My view is, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think Waymo is going to come out of the gates probably first with like having a taxi fleet operating in San Francisco, but Tesla, even though they may lag behind, will end up leapfrogging Waymo because they'll be able to work everywhere. So it's like, I think in the race, like I think Waymo's got a little bit of an edge to get out of the gate first, just because after riding in it, where with the thing you described didn't have that at all in the taxi I rode in, it was, <laughs> you couldn't have gotten more perfect. It was absolutely, it did crazy things at the intersection where it inched out did the whole thing where it felt like a person was driving the car, but it wasn't, it was, it was a robot. So it's like, it's very similar experience. But because of their their lidar and the high resolution maps, I think they're going to have an edge in the short run. I think Tesla is going to have the edge in the long run. Yeah, we we shall see. Um, yeah. But to be fair, you were driving in like a curated car with like high fidelity yes. instrumentation built in on yeah. a road. Tesla Raj had an over-there update. <laughs> he was chosen by Elon as a dude who has a Tesla. No one from Tesla came and like you know inspected his car. Are your cameras all like? Is there a crack in your windshield that would prohibit? They were just like, here you go. Let's see what happens, right? Yeah. Which is an incredibly. I I love that approach. I think that's what what makes Tesla really special. Is you have the traditional way of thinking, and and at every turn, Elon has a really unique approach, and. Um, 
it should be a fun race and we'll cover it often i think this is a topic that we will talk about frequently because there are other players as well we've talked about in the past and the technology difference is going to be uh interesting 47 solar said full self-driving beta inches out to get better views so does the waymo it's 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 really creepy it's honestly to ride one of these things is creepy because it the car drives like you would drive and it you, like you said earlier, you said you kept looking over at Tesla, at Raj to be like, is he actually driving this thing? Is he actually doing that? Because this is, this feels weird. That's how I felt in the taxi. It's like, it's like, whoa, I kept looking over the person that was behind the wheel to make sure that they actually weren't doing stuff because it's like the way it inched out and the way it would take a stop sign, the way it would go inch out to at a stop sign of an intersection to see if there was a car coming and then it would go. It was like, it was so eerily human. I can't, it just, it's creepy. That's all I can say. <laughs> Did your Waymo have a steering wheel in it and, and stuff? Yeah, no, there, there was a human yeah. being behind the the steering wheel. And uh, she just sat there with her hands on her lap the entire ride. And she was just there to take over if anything went wrong. She never even put her hand up once. She just kind of sat there just like a, like a lump behind the, the steering wheel doing nothing. And yeah, uh, Canadian Bernie Bro mentions that in five years, FSD will be way more than $10,000. That is, I think we need to officially talk, we've brushed on this. Um, that comment kind of kind of angers me because I wouldn't mind paying a, a certain amount of money for FSD. But the reality is I mentioned, I think last week, I have a family of four now and like my, my mom and dad come to visit or my brother or my brother-in-law. I might want to get a bigger car, but if I sink $10,000 in my Model 3 to get it, then what am I going to do if I decide to upgrade in a year? And it's these kinds of things that kind of irk me a bit. Um, Raj and some of my other friends we met in the Bay Area mentioned, if your car is totaled, what happens? The insurance, even Tesla's insurance, will not cover FSD as of today. So they'll give you a replacement model, whatever you had, but it wouldn't cover that. Um, now, if somebody knows better than me or, or if I'm speaking out of turn, we can cover this. We'll, we'll have a little disclaimer and a correction next week. But that's what, I, that's what I read. And I think people are getting hip to that as a value that needs to be covered just like any other cost in a car. But there's just there's so many little wrinkles and, and variables there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm a little torn on that one. That, that yeah. could be an episode by itself probably, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, the, the price the price is going to get way higher than ten thousand dollars. I think what's going to end up having happening is like the haves and the have-nots. I think the price is going to get so high it's only going to make sense to somebody who's going to operate their car like a taxi, because that will justify the cost. And then the, for everybody else, it'll probably be a subscription service. That's that's my hunch of where this is going to go. Yeah. So Canadian, uh, Canadian Bernie Bro says, "Can I buy an FSD? Can I buy FSD today and buy a car later?" I oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, that would be <laughs> That'd cool. be great, so though. If, if, I could, <laughs> if I could have done that, I would have done that possibly. But no, um, you're going to have to check that box when you buy your car at that time. I, I really wish it was account-based and not car-based. So it's like, it's, so many I buy it, it sticks that. with me. No matter what Tesla I have, it's mine. It's like, that would be so amazing. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's... There may be a, like a subscription um, is the way to think about it. But thank you, Ryan. Uh, super chat from Ryan for um, for for our chat here. So one thing I'll say is, have you guys checked out Kama.ai? So Kama is a company that has a self-driving um, little hardware 
stack you can buy. It has cameras and like a, I think it's like a Qualcomm chip, uh, ARM chip. But what's really cool is it runs what's called, is it Open Pilot, I think? Autopilot and Open Pilot. I believe it's Open Pilot. Um, yeah. But anyways, the, the point is it's an open source platform. And so anybody who knows about self-driving or machine learning or computer vision could be a code contributor. And so this code goes through iterations and it improves. But what's really cool is the company op offers the software for free and they sell the hardware. So the hardware is like this integrated piece of equipment that has the cameras and everything built into it. But theoretically, you could build your own if you wanted to and run OpenPilot. So um, what's really interesting is I really hope they do well. <laughs> Their founder yeah. is brilliant, by the way. He's a, he's a genius guy. I've heard him talk a couple times. He's really fun to listen to. I think his name's uh, George Hotz, I think. But he is trying to solve this from another perspective. And their approaches are different from Tesla's at times. But imagine if there was a open player who could, who could kind of rally the troops. Um, the only way I can see Tesla having some control over their ridiculous pricing in the future would be competition from someone like that. And so next week, if there's any pressing questions that you guys have, um, write them down and be sure to join us again next week. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. Can't wait to see you next week. As Ricky said, be sure to subscribe to the audio podcast if you want the audio version of this. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>